If you have your Bibles, John chapter 5. John chapter 5 this morning. Again, say a special welcome to those guests that are here. We are grateful that you have come. This is what we do. We sing to God, and we lift our voices, we pray, we read the Bible, and then we walk through it, and uh, hopes that it would walk through us. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the chairs there. We want to give you one, and you can take that. Maybe you have a friend that needs one. You can take that and give that to them. This morning, we'll be on page 890 in that particular Bible. So if you're not on that page in your Bible, that, that's okay. The Bible's under the seat. It's page 890. Nine zero, And you'll find the number five, if you're new to Christianity or you're exploring Christianity, you'll find the larger number, which is five, and then you'll move down to the smaller numbers, which are verses, and we'll be in verse 25 today through the end of the chapter. And so that'll help you if you're new to the study of the Bible, or maybe you're exploring Christianity to see um, what does this even mean. Uh, this is the way we do it. We just read through certain portions of scripture, and then we see what it says, and we apply it, and then the next week we do it again um, at a little bit further down. And so it's a joy to do that. Before I read the word and dive into this word, I just want to bring uh, attention. This is for those that are part of the family of faith here at Providence. So this is a little bit of a family talk real quick. Uh, just to let you know, there was a letter sent out this week to update you on uh, our facilities. You know we're in a two-year um, season of life, preparing for the next 20 years, Vision 220, we are calling it. And uh, you as a congregation voted back uh, in February uh, to allow leadership to work through uh, many details of what it would look like. There were three specific things we committed to in Vision uh, 220, and the third one was to um, increase and expand and improve our facilities. And so um, we're doing some studies right now of knocking this back wall out and then this wall out here um, and doing some improvement and some expanding for capacity-wise. Um, and we were going to, we told you, you voted, you, you allowed us to do that study. <clears throat> and then that we were going to come back in, in May, present that to you, and we vote again. <clears throat> a lot of details, a lot of numbers. We haven't collected everything, okay? And so this is what the letter says. That it's it's going to be a little delayed and doing that. And so we just wanted to make that announcement from here, but also encourage you, if you didn't get that email, that letter, at Next Steps, you can grab that letter and uh, just kind of be updated with some specifics, okay? Second thing we wanted to bring your attention to is our children's ministry. We love our children here, and, and we pleaded a couple of weeks ago, laid out a vision where we're moving in the fall to where we're going to have teachers in our children's ministry consistent every week, right? Right now, it takes about 350 uh, adults to, to partner, and they serve one time a month, right? And so it just takes a lot of volunteers to pull that off. And we've noticed just, just some realities that the kids don't get to know the teachers that well. Um, it's hard, a little bit more difficult to manage. And so we're, uh, we're asking the Lord to raise up around maybe 200 um, that would just be committed each week. And, uh, and so we're a fourth of the way there. We're excited about that. God's moving and stirring. And if you're interested in that, um, out in the back in the lobby, there's a place where you can sign. Uh, there's a children's banner out there. You can sign. You're not signing up to serve for a year. Let me encourage you. Okay? You're just signing up to get more information uh, about those things. And we'd love to talk to you about that. Okay? All right. With that said, let's get after it. It's 11 o'clock. I love this hour because everybody's awake and the coffee's kicked in. So... 
<clears throat> here we go. Now, we are memorizing verses as well. I just want to bring our attention to John 6, 35 for the month of May. I think we might have it up on the screen. And uh, so we feel like it's crucial to memorize scripture together. Psalm 119 says specifically uh, that, that how can a young man keep his way pure by taking heed according to God's word, right? That, that with all, my whole heart I've s- sought you, God, and I don't want to wander from your commandments. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And so as we're memorizing scripture together, God uses that throughout the week to bring encouragement, to also bring um, s- some stamina in the fight against sin. And so we're doing this together uh, as, as a church. And so this month is John six thirty five. So let's say it together. Ready? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we'll unpack that in a few weeks in John 6, but for this month, we're just going to be meditating on that together. All right, so here, here, here's what we've got. We've got John chapter 5, incredible chapter. We have seen a lot take place in this particular text. We, we saw in verses 1 through 18... Jesus demonstrating his authority by restoring a paralytic. Pretty amazing, massive miracle. We we saw a little bit last week, and we'll look a little bit more this week, how Jesus declares his authority, right? He demonstrated it, but now he declares his authority by receiving power to, to judge all of humanity. We'll unpack a little bit what that means. And today we pick up in verse 20. Let me read God's word. Verse 25 says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works of the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not know, not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray. Father, what a massive text to unpack in a few minutes. So I can't do it, so I need you to help, and I'm asking for it. Open our eyes and open our ears to see and believe in the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one time, I desired to be a lawyer for about three minutes, (laughs) after I realized how many books those folks have to read. I've always been fascinated with courtroom workings. One of my best friends who's here at Providence and in this room is a lawyer in town. And when we go to lunch, I'm picking his brain to see how things go and certain cases turn out. I mean, from Perry Mason to Matlock, right, to to law and order, we're, we're all amazed and on the edge wondering how the case will turn out. Or even from box office, right? From the box office, some of the most memorable scenes of those scenes of the witness stand, those that that have been called up to the witness stand, and you're wondering, is this the one that's going to have the word, the witness to convince, to invoke belief? Listen, John John is going to call witnesses to the stand in our text today to show and validate and point us to believe without doubt who this man Jesus is. And this courtroom is somewhat messed up in a sense because you've got the most innocent holy man on the planet having to defend himself and these religious zealots who aren't Christians are getting angrier as each scene in John unfolds. But there is clear and convincing evidence that we'll see in our text today that I'm praying God would use to fuel faith and move us on mission. That would fuel faith and move us on mission. So here's our question for the day. How does Jesus defend his authority? Right, he's demonstrated it. We saw it in the last couple weeks. He declares it in a sense, but he defends it. How does he defend it? Well, here's one statement, and I'm going to give you five reasons this morning. Jesus defends his authority by revealing witnesses that give reasons to believe. Jesus defends his authority by revealing witnesses that give reason to believe. I want to show you five reasons quickly. I'm going to move through this somewhat rapidly, and then come to this incredible table and have our best meal of the month together. So five reasons. Here's the first one. Jesus 
is the final judge of our journey. Jesus is the final judge of our journey. Judge Judy is not the final judge, right? No, listen. In verse 27, the Father has given Jesus authority to execute judgment. He's given him this authority. Matthew 28 says he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Notice in verse 25, what is he talking here about? This hour is coming and it's now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. I think it's twofold. I think it's, it's, it's physical in one sense that in a few chapters in John, we're going to see this man, Jesus, raise someone from the dead named Lazarus. And some scholars believe that he had to say the word Lazarus come out because if he had said come out by the power of his voice, all in the grave would have come out. And so we're going to see physically this bodily resurrection that's going to come in John. But I think he's also talking about a spiritual resurrection, a spiritual deadness, right? We're, we're born dead in our sin, and then we're awakened when we come to the point of understanding. The text in John says that we're born again. There's a spiritual birth that takes place that I think he's also mentioning. It's a spiritual birth that when someone who looks alive physically, they're moving, they're walking, they're breathing, but they're spiritually dead. I think he's talking about that both for that time and that day and also for this day and this time. When folks come to a point in their life when they realize that they have sinned and their works aren't good enough to reach a holy God, but God in his good work reached us through his son, right? This is what just happened in my office an hour ago with a 47-year-old man who came to the point of realizing that his works weren't good enough, and he repented and trusted Jesus in my office an hour ago. Yeah, we could praise God on that. Yes, he did. And it was, it was beautiful to watch and see. I'm drawing things on my board, and I'm putting a cross on my board to show, no, this cross, this man, Jesus, he is the way to God the Father. It's his work that he accomplished on our behalf that, that grants us access to God when we believe. And so I think this is, this is what's happening in verses 25 and 26. In the Son, we have life. 27, he's given us, he's given the Son, right, all authority. But notice 28. 28 kind of flips things uh, uh, on, their, on their head, right? Because who, who talks like this? He's like, now don't marvel at this. Well, I mean, he just... A guy was 38 years being a paralytic and he spoke with his voice and the ligaments and the tendons just started working and he got up and he'll do this to a man who's dead in a few chapters. He says, don't marvel at this for an hour is coming when, watch what he says, all in the tombs where he'll, where, will hear his voice and come out. <laughs> we believe this is going to happen. <laughs> I mean, are you ready for that scene? The voice of the Son of God is going to speak, speak. And every single person that's ever lived, that's dead, 
is coming back to be judged with their physical body. Their spiritual body's already in that in some sense, right? I mean, think about this incredible, sobering thought. Think about this particular text. He says, listen, those who come out, who've done good to the resurrection of life, and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let's make sure we can't rip this text out of context. We, we, we know it's not you do good, and then when he raises your body, like there's eternal life. No, no, we know the scriptures teach that it's because he saved us and because of the work that he's done, right, that it produces good works, right? It's not a, a, a works-based salvation where we merit this. No, no, it's, it's a salvation that works. It's not by works. It's a salvation that takes place, and in this end time, right, he will judge. Now, listen, if you're not a believer this morning, right, if you're not a believer and the Bible's talking this type of language, right, we, we, take this, we should take this text as a, a warning this morning. And we can, we can listen. We, we, we can listen to these warnings or we can run from these warnings. We can heed these warnings and listen. And we compassionately exhort you as Mark did earlier in, in singing and as I do in this teaching time, listen, to consider Christ. We, we love warnings when it saves our lives. When a, when a sign says, warning, bridge is out up ahead. We love that. It saves our life. But when I-35 collapsed in Minnesota a few years ago, they didn't have a warning sign up. There was no warning sign. This is a warning sign. Don't get caught on the bridge of unbelief. Don't be caught on the bridge of unbelief when it collapsed. But for the believer this morning, listen, Jesus, as as judge, he, he serves us because he's the one that's been judged for us. I mean, imagine this courtroom scene. The judge, he comes out of his chambers, this cool outfit that they wear, right? And, and he comes down, not with the gavel, but he comes and what you've been guilty of, he pays the price for you. This is the type of judge he is for the believer who's embraced him. And this judge at the end times won't be like the judge up in the courtroom with the gavel. He'll be like the judge at the Olympic Games that's going to extend and give rewards. This is what will take place at what the scriptures call the Bema seat for the believer. Not this white throne of judgment. No, listen, Acts 17 says it like this. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day. He's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Oh, Jesus, listen. Let's solidify and fortify our belief in this man and who he is, and what he's accomplished. And it's interesting, right, because Jesus, he could have dropped a resume. He doesn't need a resume. He's, he's putting references out this morning, but he doesn't need 
references in one sense. But notice what happens in verse 30 and 31, because really this first witness is, we're going to see four, but really there's five, it's Jesus himself. But notice what he says in verse 30. He says, I can do nothing on my own. I, I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the who sent me, right? The Father has sent him on mission. But if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Why would he say that? Because Deuteronomy says in the court systems of that Jewish court day that one's own testimony didn't hold up. So he had every right, every right for his, to hold, hold himself up, to identify who he is and what he's done. And yet he says, listen, I'm going to call some witnesses to the stand for you. And this is what he ends up doing, verses 32 following. But for this first point, let's embrace this as an application. Listen, let's believe Jesus and escape his judgment and embrace his joy. Let's do this. Let's, let's consider these things. Let's, let's believe Jesus and escape his judgment and embrace his joy. Notice the second reason to believe is Jesus is the light and we are the lamps. Jesus is the light and we are the lamps. Notice in verse 32, he brings this, this other witness to the stand named John the Baptist. Now, we've unpacked in the weeks past about John the Baptist, who he was and what he did. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but notice what Jesus says about him, right? He said, and he's talking to these, he's, he, he's, as, as Brian has been saying, right, he's, he's kind of poking the bear in a sense. He, he's, he's prodding these Jewish leaders who, who don't want to follow him, who are, who are full of pride and arrogance and and he's like, listen, you, you sent for this guy, right? And there's another in verse 32 that bears witness, that bears witness. And I know that the, the, the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent for him, and he's borne witness to the truth. Now, why is Jesus anxious about this, this man bearing witness about himself? Is because in verse 34, he says, listen, I say these things because I want you to be saved. He's compassionate about those who are lost, those that are in self-righteous moments, in self-centered moments, and, and he's desiring for them to be saved. And he says in verse 35, John the Baptist was a burning and shining lamp, and, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. He, he bore witness. See, this man, John, John the Baptist, he was a lamp, but I'm actually the light, this is what he's saying. See, see we, we, uh, John the Baptist was his forerunner. He had a message that Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And, and we are lamps trying to shine light in a dark world and point all to where the spotlight rightly should shine, on Jesus himself. Right? We're, we're like the headlight that's navigating in a growingly darker culture, pointing all to the glory of God in Christ. He's the light of the world. He's the one that when we see him in the heavenly realm, resurrected, he returns, his face will be so gloriously lit up in his state of glory, there'll be no need for the sun, Revelation says. So he, he's the light of the world. We're, we're a lamp. We're, we're cutting the lamp on trying to point others to the light. And listen, all the stuff that's going on in our culture today, right? We, we tend to get angry and critical. And listen, the last few weeks, my heart's been stirred about some of these things. But here's what the Lord's pressing on my heart. Listen, we, we tend to get angry, but listen... Many folks in our culture are spiritually blind. 
if we were in the mall, walking down the mall, right, going to get some cinnamon buns, those things incredible. <laughs> it's, it's one kiosk in the food court that I think God's ordained, right? <laughs> cinnamon toast with the icing, right? We're walking, and we notice a blind man walking in, right? And no one's guiding him, and he knocks over a kiosk, right? He, he, he dumps stuff all over the place. We're not going to criticize him. We're not going to blast him. We're going to run help him, aren't we? We're going to help him up, help him see. Listen, you want to change culture? You engage one heart at a time with the gospel. The gospel has to change a heart before any culture changes. Right? And it's one at a time. It's not a loud megaphone riding down Glenwood Avenue out the, moon, out the sunroof, shouting. No. It's cultivating relationships with people who have real questions. They have real objections. And you befriend them. And you're kind to them. And you help them see the way, the truth, and the light. And Jesus, each one, imagine if each one in this room reached one person in one year. Just one. Cultivating a friendship. Having coffee. Opening this book. Reading this book out loud. One of my great friends and neighbor just come to, to know and love and hang out all the time. We, we, he came to faith recently and it's like on Mark chapter 12. It's a chapter a week. Reading the book. Reading the book. Right? Listen. Jesus is the light. We are the lamps, right? Let's, let's reflect the light of Christ as an application as we shine our lamps for Christ. Let's, let's reflect the light of Christ as we shine our lamps for Christ. Number three, the third reason to believe, Jesus is the miracle worker in the midst of our mess. He's the miracle worker. Look at what he does. He's building this argument. Let's go back to the courtroom, right? He's building this argument. He's bringing witness. John the Baptist, right? He's brought now, he's, he's going to bring, right, his, his, the very works that he's doing. Look at verse 36. He says, the testimony that, that I have is greater than that of John. So he, he's building it, right? He's building it. He, he says, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So if you don't believe me, look at the works I'm doing. Look at the paralytic for 38 years who sat there that could not walk, and I just spoke, and ligaments worked, and muscles worked. Look at the water to wine back in earlier chapters, and and then he's he's saying these, these works, in a sense, are on the witness stand to show you who I am. Matter of fact, in chapter 6, next, next few weeks, we're going to see 5,000, right? He's going to take a bonefish special for two and, and feed 5,000, right? That bread you did, I don't know why I'm talking about food, so maybe I'm hungry this morning, right? Right? He's going to take some bonefish bread and a couple of fish, and he's going to feed 5,000. And even in 6, we're going to see, they're going to come say, we need to see a sign. I'm like, what? What did he just do? Right? And, and there's a paralytic walking down the road. Hey, see, watch this. What we learned from verses 40 to 44, we don't have time to unpack them, but here's, let me just make this statement. For, for many, no miracle is good enough because you're so consumed with your own glory. Right? No miracle is going to be good enough. When you're so prideful and you want your glory to be made known, 
you're not going to look at the glory of another. Not at all. Listen, biblical miracles never meant to be the end. They are the means to the end. Miracles point us to the maker of the universe. This is what's, what's going on. Miracles are, are meant to, to make our eyes look up to the reality of who Christ is. Tim Keller, in one of his writings, he says, what is the purpose of biblical miracles? They lead not simply to cognitive belief, but to worship, to awe and wonder. Jesus' miracles in particular were never magic tricks designed to impress and coerce. No, no, we, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease and hunger and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he's going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but it's a promise to our heart that the world we all want is coming. And listen, the only way to get to that world is through the ultimate miracle of his death, burial, and resurrection. The good news of the gospel, it's not advice, it is news of what he has accomplished. These seven signs that we'll see in this book are only there to point us to the Son of God. These incredible signs are there to lift our heads to the Son of God and the reality of what he's done, that God made us, he created us, and we in our sinful rebellion state, we rebelled against him. And then he promised that he's going to make things right, not by our efforts, but by his effort. And this is why Christ came to live the life you and I could not live, to die the death that we deserve. He took God's wrath on a cross, was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And listen, that's the greatest miracle ever, that he would take the wrath that you and I deserve upon himself. He's the perfect son of God. That's the greatest miracle ever, that he being God, fully God, fully man, would take God's wrath upon himself. Isaiah says the Father would crush him on our behalf. Right? Listen, 38 years of paralysis is nothing to an eternity away from God. Right? This is the greater miracle, the gospel of what he's done, and we repent and we believe, we receive the righteousness of Christ. It's imputed to us. It's given to us freely. (sighs) That's a miracle. So let all miracles, listen, Providence, this morning. Let all miracles point you to the greatest miracle. Let all these miracles point you to the greatest miracle. Number four, fourth reason to believe. Quickly, I'm going to speed up now. Hang on. Jesus is his father's joy in his journey to the cross. Jesus is his father's joy in his journey to the cross. Now think about this, verse 37. Look at the text. And the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Now your voice, you've never heard it. His form, you've never seen it, right? 
Again, they're going to be consumed with their own glory, not the Father's glory. Think about this, right? His, John the Baptist, then he signs these works. Now he's calling God the Father as a witness. You put God the Father on a resume, you might get the job. I'm just saying, right? Uh, I mean, think about this, right? And this is still not enough from them, right? Because they're more concerned with their own ways, This is what God would say. The voice of God would actually come on the Son, for the Son, in the very baptism of Jesus, where he says, a voice comes from heaven. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Oh, this is a a witness. God the Father has never said this about any other religious leader, ever. This is the voice coming from heaven, right? Or our, 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 our children, right? We, we love that affirmation. We love that voice of, of, they love that voice of affirmation from their parents. I was trying to give my daughter one. We had this huge game yesterday. It's the end of the season. We're trying to get the number one seed in this basketball game. It's a tight game. It's coming down to like the, the, the last, we're up by like one or two points, about two points, and, and, it's, and it's like 10 seconds. And this girl goes to the free throw for the other team, and, and she hits the free throw. And my daughter, who's on the other team, goes up and gives her five. <laughs> I'm like, girl, what you doing? <laughs> we tried to beat them. I know it's a Christian camp and Christian basketball. We all love each other. But we want the W. Right? So my daughter rebukes me. She's, like, She's a friend. I just want to try to encourage her. And I was like, okay, man, I got that wrong. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry about that, right? No, this, this, this father's all, he's not rebuking his son. He's affirming his son. He's affirming his son. So let God the Father's approval of Jesus awaken affections for Jesus this morning. Number five, last, I gotta fly. Jesus is the hero of the whole Bible. Jesus is the hero of the whole Bible, right? Notice what he says. I can't read it all. Just let's go to 40. 46, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. What in the world? Now, I don't see J-E-S-U-S in my Old Testament. Don't see it in there, okay? I don't see the word Jesus, the Christ, in the Old Testament. How did Moses write about Jesus? That's a great question right? We believe Moses wrote the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. So let's understand a few things really, really quick. Because he also will say this in Luke 24, that the law and the prophets were, they wrote about me, right? So when we say, I'm a New Testament Christian, I probably wouldn't use that language. I would just go, I'm a biblical Christian. Because this Old Testament, as much for us as the New Testament, okay? It's one book with one hero, Right? And Tim Keller helps us again with this. And let me just read this quickly. This is what he says about this Old Testament. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who portrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. 
Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. That's who, that's who he is. That's Jesus. That's the, and that's what the Old Testament, they're pointing, right? They're pointing to this man named Jesus. This is why Luke 17 and 16 would actually talk about this rich man and Lazarus. And as he goes to, to hell, in a sense, he's like, please let me go back and warn my, my brothers. And the word comes. He says, listen, they do not hear Moses and the prophets It's the Old Testament. Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You ever thought about it? Your your Old Testament is more sufficient to lead you to know Jesus than if someone got up out of the graveyard and walked in here and said, all this stuff is true. That's what he's saying. So application before we come to this witness stand, (laughs) right, is this. It's let's read the whole Bible with a humble readiness to encounter Jesus. Let's read the whole Bible with a humble readiness to encounter the Son of God this morning. Our six witness stands, not part of the notes, but it's here, and it's a table that he set up to remember him. I'm gonna ask the deacons and the elders if they would make their way up now, and as they're coming, this is a time that we come once a month as, as a church to take the bread and the cup to do it in remembrance of what God has done in his son, Jesus. And so I want to ask you this morning, if you've not trusted Christ, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, to let this serve you in a way that as it goes by you, that maybe God would use it to stir your heart to consider following Jesus. And maybe after the service, you can make a commitment to trust Jesus. And and then next month when we do this, you can partake of it. But this morning, as we come, to this table. We come with a humbleness and an excitement because it helps, helps us to look back, but it also helps us to look forward. What he did do and what he's going to do in his return. And so they said when they celebrated that night, the Passover, that they gave thanks. And so I'm going to ask my brother to give thanks as we get ready. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we truly are thankful that we have the ability to come to this table. You tell us in the book of, of Ephesians that, uh, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Lord God, you made us alive together with Christ. So, Lord, that is what we celebrate, your grace and your love and your mercy. So, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, and if there's any in here today that don't know you, Lord, we pray that your spirit would call them to consider the claims of Jesus and the life that awaits the believer. So, Lord, we give you honor, praise, and glory, and thanks for this time as we take this greatest meal of the month, as Dave said. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.